I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Management Men at Home Team podcast, the podcast for those outcasts working at home during this global pandemic. This podcast is a service of the MBA program in the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. Our goal is to make working at home work for you. My name is Scott Hammond. I'm a professor of management, a consultant, and an author, and I've been working at home for six to seven years. I love it, and I also love working at Utah State University and teaching in the MBA program. This is the fourth part of a five-part series on unemployment, and today we're going to talk about that interview that you get. Now, I have to say that about 20, 25 times during my career, I've had the opportunity or that thrilling opportunity of uh, chilling my uh, feet and trying to cool myself down to try to get ready for that really important interview for a job that you think you might really want. Sometimes you go into that interview thinking this is the perfect job for me, and you come out thinking, nah, that ain't going to work. And sometimes you go into that job saying this probably isn't going to work and come out saying this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my life. That's what happened to me at Utah State. I really wasn't all that interested in teaching and working at Utah State. I had a good job at another university. And once I met the dean and the leadership and talked to people and talked to the students, I found myself absolutely committed, excited for their um, mission, to join their mission. And I was very glad when I finally got the offer. I talked to an HR recruiting specialist named Kevin Bellamy, whose opinion I really value a lot, and asked him about the interview and what he does. And he said the number one thing is to remove any distractions that you have. This might mean uh, not going on the family trip. Uh, This might mean staying in a hotel the night before. But make it a singular focus. Really think about this and focus on the interview. If you get the interview, it takes a lot to get to the point where you've got the interview. So just do it right and do it the best way you can. I had one friend who said he took a separate cab, and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, my wife and I were both leaving at 9 o'clock. She was going to work, and I was going to a job interview, and I took a different cab so that I could think about the job interview and focus and not focus on her. Kevin talks about that singular focus, and I think that's really, really valuable. The other thing that Kevin talks about is the anticipation of questions. Think about questions. What are the questions you're going to get? Now, the first interview you get is going to be a screening interview that says, can you do the job? They're really trying to figure out if you're qualified. Can you do the job? The second interview is really, are you the best person for the job? Now, sometimes these come in the same day, okay? So sometimes you have a string of interviews, and over the whole day, you'll get the first interview and the second interview. But very often these days, the first interview is done via Skype or via uh, WebEx or via Zoom, and maybe even the second interview is done that way. And the first interview is uh, is screening your qualifications, making sure you can do what you say you can do, and kind of ordering the top candidates to figure out who do we want to bring 
to the second interview. And then sometimes the second interview is with more important people, and they're really trying to figure out if you are the best person for the job. They assume that everybody that they're going to interview from that point on is qualified to do the job, but are you the best person for that job? So you get into that situation, and one of the things that you have to remember is that you are most likely a knowledge worker. And knowledge workers who work with their mind, who work with their head, who work with their heart, are very different from people, that blue-collar worker that works with their hands. So you're working with your head and not your hands. And so in that first interview where they're checking for qualifications, you have to display your qualifications. You have to show that you know how to do the job. In that second interview, you have to show that you want to do the job and that you're passionate about learning and some other things like that. But in that first interview, you have to display your technical ability and get past that uh, qualification round by showing that you know how to solve problems in the area that they're hiring for. And so it, it pays a lot to study that job description and to study the company. Kevin Bellamy, who I was describing, says, study that company and anticipate and try to figure out what kind of questions they ask. If you can, call somebody in the company. If you know somebody in the company, call them and ask them what kind of questions they got when they interviewed there. Now, the other thing is that performance is highly subjective in a in a knowledge worker-based company. And so you kind of have to show that you had measurable success. You have to show how you succeeded. And numbers are really helpful there. Now, the second thing is that fit interview. And that's even more subjective. That's really difficult because it's hard to know what they're really looking for. That's where they're asking you if you're the best person to fill that job, to the best one on our list. And I had one CEO tell me once something that I thought was really powerful. He said, we're looking for learners, we're looking for leaders, and we're looking for that cultural fit. Those are the three things we're looking for. Learners, leaders, and cultural fit. By learners, they mean people who are willing to learn, who are doing ongoing learning, who are telling stories and thinking about how they learn every day on the job. By leaders, they're talking about people who solve problems, who reach out, who go uh, the extra mile, who go a little bit further. Not necessarily, the job may not necessarily include leadership, but they want everyone to be a leader. And finally, that cultural fit means, will you fit in? Will you not be a problem? Will you not be a, a conflict? Will you be someone who is enjoying? Of course, in an environment where we're working at home more and more often, it's very, very difficult and very interesting to figure out what that particular fit is. The second thing is they say this, there's, a, there's often this statement or this assumption that past experience is the best predictor of future success. Now, that's how most job interviews go. And so they want to hear your past stories, your past success stories, what you've done previously. And they're assuming that you're going to bring that to their company. But you and I know that's not true. You and I know that we have hired people, we've worked on hiring people who had done all the right things. And they left that experience and they left that motivation and they left all of that at their previous employer and they came into your business or your particular environment and coasted. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. We've also hired people who were kind of at the edge of qualification. They didn't really know how to figure it out. But they got help, they got mentored, they grew over time, and this mediocre employee became one of the leading employees in your company because they learned, they were willing to learn. 
So that past experience is the best predictor of future success is a fallacy, but it's also an operational fallacy that most interviewers use. So you got to be careful and ready with that. And the best way to be ready with that is with good stories. Now, you will find that most uh, good interviewers do something called behavior-based interviewing. Behavior-based interviewing is rather complicated in some ways because they teach people, they train people to do it this way. But the simple part of it is this. You simply ask people what they've done in the past in terms of behaviors. So, for example, you might say, tell me about a recent situation in which you had to deal with a very upset customer. So tell me the story. They're essentially asking for the story. That's kind of the first level of behavior-based interviewing is tell me about a recent situation. The second level asks you what you learned about that. So what did you learn from that experience? And that's kind of checking whether or not you have the ability to abstract and learn from failure or from success. The third level is that application. So how do you deal with customers differently now that you've had that experience? And they kind of milk that story for more of your thinking, more of your synthetic thinking. Well, now that's how the perfect interview is supposed to go, but they don't go that way. Somebody's very busy with work, and then somebody calls up, and then the reminder comes up on the computer or something. Are you ready to see our new candidate? Oh, yeah, 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 send them in. Uh, And they haven't been thinking about it very much. Don't worry about that. That's not your problem. What your problem is, is to listen and hear that behavior-based question anyway. So when they start chatting and chit-chatting, you say, let me tell you a story about a time I had a customer. Speaking of customers, let me tell you a story about a time I had a customer who really uh, was very, very difficult. And we turned that customer from an enemy into a friend. And let me explain how we did it. And then you go on and tell that story. I would say this, that have two or three or four really good stories ready to go. Two or three or four really good stories about that customer turnaround, about the time you went the extra mile, about the time you had an insurmountable problem and your team came in and helped you. Different themes like that that will help. And tell those stories if you can in each interview in one form or another, either that five-minute long version or the two-minute short version, but tell them so that when the group gets together, the committee gets together, they all remember the same story. And they all remember that you did this right. And they remember you're the guy who is really good at turning customers around, or you're the guy or the woman who's really good at solving problems. So think about those stories, have three or four of them, rehearse them ahead of time, practice them, have a long version, have a short version, and remember they must, must, must. They have to, have to, have to be true stories. You cannot fake these. That doesn't mean that people are going to call up and check you out or check out the veracity of these stories. But, you know, you can't lie. You can't exaggerate because someone in the room will pick it up. Somebody in the room will feel uneasy about you. Somebody in the room, they won't say, oh, that wasn't true. They'll just say, "Uh, there's something about that person that made me feel uneasy. Most of us think we're good liars. We are not. So it has to be a good story, a true story. It has to have veracity. You have to be able to tell it with passion and interest. So practice your stories. Like I said, practice them on people who you care about and have a two-minute version and a five-minute version and everything in between. The other thing is don't always be the hero of your own story. That is, don't always be the one that says, um, you know, I did this and I came out and now I'm a superhero and I can do anything. But 
talk about your mistakes. Talk about how you blew it and how you came around to learn something and how you changed and how you grew. You see, most people, particularly in that second interview, are really looking for somebody who's going to grow into that job. Not the person who's already peaked. Not the person who's already peaked and that job's going to be easy for them, but for the person who wants to peak and that job's going to be a challenge for them and they're going to want it. At the end of the interview, thank them. Be appreciative. Say thank you for your time. I appreciate your time. And be gracious that way. Do things right that way. Now, you can read a lot about what to wear at interviews and uh, what to do, how to, how to handle the fork if they take you to lunch, those kind of things. That's all online. But remember, you cannot not thank somebody and, and be forgotten. If you thank somebody sincerely, they remember that. And one of the things you want to do, particularly want to do, is be remembered. There's something called immediacy and primacy that they use in advertising. Immediacy is that we often remember the first thing a speaker says. And then we also remember the last thing that a speaker says. And we don't remember very much that comes in between. So watch very carefully what you say first and watch very carefully what you say last in an interview. The other thing is this, is if you are given a choice, go first, be the first person they interview or go last because they're more likely to remember you they're more likely to like you if you're in the first or the last position. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you're finding these podcasts helpful. Each of our daily podcasts is designed to support you and your work at home. And we'd love to hear from you. What's working for you? What's not? Please email us with any ideas or suggestions. Go directly to me. I'm at scott.hammond at usu.edu. That's scott.hammond at usu.edu. This podcast is a service of the MBA program in the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. In the changing business world, one investment that's sure to pay big returns is education. So keep learning. Keep growing. Consider an online MBA at the Huntsman School. You can work at home and grow anywhere. I'm Scott Hammond. Hope to see you in one of our classes.